So we are starting our Advent series uh, today of this Christmas season. And so we are looking uh, at the Christmas story this year, just like we do every year, of, you know, the incredible miracle of, of the Christ child and the coming Messiah uh, and all of the, the story that surrounds it. And, and again, it is a familiar story. It's one that we see, uh, you know, even in different places that we don't normally see it. I mean, again, you even walk into Costco and see a, a nativity scene there, right? I mean, we see the Christ child everywhere, and I think I, with that said, it, is that we, uh, there are lots of part of this traditional Christmas story that, that are embellished, that are kind of added in a little bit. In fact, if you look at this, just the scripture itself, that leaves a lot of holes in the story. Now, um, the, you know, because the reality is the Bible doesn't give us all of the details of the Christmas story. Um, in fact, two of the four Gospels don't even mention the Christmas story. They go right into, in the life of Jesus, Mark and John just skip it completely. Matthew and Luke both give us details that, that the other one leaves out. And over time, we have put them all together and we filled in the holes to arrive at what we now know as the Christmas story. And not that it's inaccurate, it's just that the Bible doesn't tell us all of those details. And so, again, we fill them in. Now, there are a lot of different perspectives, a lot of characters and interactions that just simply aren't in Scripture. And yet, there were a lot of people that witnessed Jesus' majesty. Not only on that first Christmas, but on, on all of the events leading up to it, and, and on, on the birth of Christ, and then especially the events after it. Um, it's true regarding every aspect of Jesus' life on earth, not just his birth, that lots of people witnessed the majesty of the Messiah. And, and, and so as we approach the Christmas story this year, I want to challenge us to see beyond the traditional story into even the, the second level of what it means to follow Jesus. And so we're going to start uh, today uh, with looking at one of the passages that, that speak to the Christmas story in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 7. So if you have your Bible uh, with you, I invite you to open with me to Luke, chapter 2. If you're here with us in person and don't have your own, there are uh, Bibles provided to you in the seat you're welcome to use. If you're with us online, if you can grab your Bible and read along. Um, but here is the, again, the intro to the um, the Christmas story, the, the core of the Christmas story, as it's told by Luke uh, in chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. It says, At that time, a Roman emperor, Augustus, decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. And this was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee, and he took with him Mary, his fiancée, who was now obviously pregnant. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born, and she gave birth to her first child, a son. And she wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no lodging available for them. So as we read this, again, seven-verse synopsis, right, of the Christmas story, uh, we learned some, some important details, um, but as, as we read this passage, it's easy to see how much we've added into the story over the last 2,000 years. 
Again, even as we look at the traditional Christmas play, right, one of the key uh, characters is the innkeeper. And guess what? The innkeeper is not even mentioned in the text. I mean, it's implied. I mean, obviously it says that they went to an inn. There was no room for them. But yet even that actual character is not mentioned. But we do know that there was an inn, and we do know that it was full. Now, this passage sets the stage for the first character that we're going to look at uh, through the series. And, and, and as we're looking at the challenge to go to the second level of the Christmas story, to the second level of our faith and what Jesus is doing, we're going to look at this story through second-level characters. So we have where the innkeeper, again, is inferred, and, but not in there. We're going to look at today um, the perspective of the innkeeper's son as he reflects back on that first Christmas. So we're going to watch this short video, again, portrayed this portrayal of the innkeeper's son. My pop had this way about him. It made me so angry. So I'd come to him with an idea. It could be big or small. Usually it was something I thought would spruce things up around here a bit. Every time, every single time, as if he were reminding me of something, he'd pat me on the back and say, thank you, boy. Then he'd go on about his business. It's just his way. You know, a lot of people didn't know it, but um, Bob couldn't read. Now, he'd have me do his reading for him. I remember that day that he came in. He, he, he came to me with a, a notice that had been uh, tacked to the front door of the inn, saying that the government was calling for a census. Well, I didn't have to read that all the way through to know what that meant. Yeah, it meant that people from all over were about to arrive in droves, and they were going to need a place to stay. I said, Pop, we got to get busy. we got work to do. We need to expand our footprint. This little inn of ours is only going to hold a handful of people. I even drew up plans, pushing for profits in every corner that I could. I was ready. Yeah, I knew it. It was time for me to take over the family business, become the innkeeper. (laughs) I was 14. (laughs) Pop patted me on the back and said, thanks, boy, <laughs> and went on about his business. It wasn't long before Bethlehem was busting at the seams. Oh, gosh, we'd never seen so many people. And where was I? Yeah, I was washing linens and sweeping and cleaning out the stables. Picture this, I'm standing there in the stall the door opens, I turn and see them standing right there. This, this poor man and his wife, and she was great with child. Yeah, yeah, she's pregnant, and Pop told them that they could stay in the barn. <laughs> he lost his mind. There the three of us were. Me, this panicked husband, this woman in pain, and I knew what that pain meant. It meant that baby was coming, and it was coming now. So what did I do? I was 14. I didn't know what to do. 
then in walks Pop. He's got blankets and water and he's handling it. He was doing what he always did. Saving me. And that night, he saved them too. But you could never convince Pop that he was a hero that night. No, I can still hear him. He'd say, boy, all I did was make room that night. The hero that night was God coming down to save us all. As we see that like a portrayal of the first Christmas, that last line kind of resonates in our minds, doesn't it? The, the hero that night was God coming down to save us all. I mean, no, that's the heart of the Christmas story is, is not just the birth of this baby, but what that baby grew up to do. You know, the, as we look at the life of Jesus, you know, that, I mean, that, that is the point. That's why Christmas is, is significant. The the truth is babies are born every day, but this was not just a normal baby. This was a special one. Special because of what this baby would grow up to do. This, this baby would make claims that most people didn't believe. Mainly that he was God in the flesh. He was the sent Messiah. This baby would die on a cross. He would rise on the third day and provide salvation for us all. This baby proved his claims by his actions. When we think about faith and actions and even this portrayal of, of the innkeeper and his son, and, and we realize that, again, that it was just the actions of their faith that helped that night. And, and yet ultimately, the example of Jesus shows us that faith and actions are, are very important, especially when the faith and those actions go together. The video portrayed the innkeeper living out his faith with his actions. And whether an actual innkeeper showed up on time and provided in the ways that the son suggested or not, God has a way of putting people in our paths at just the right time to help in just the right way, to speak just the right words of kindness or encouragement while demonstrating acts born out of faith. And that's kind of the first, again, premise that we learn here this morning as we even look at the, the Christmas story and this portrayal of the innkeeper and his son is we just learn that faith and actions working together are very powerful. The faith and actions working together are incredibly powerful. Now, we, we, we know this to be true. We probably experience this, whether it's through our own faith and actions or, or with the, the actions of others. We, we know that faith... Combined with actions are very powerful, but yet we also have to remember that the opposite is also true. Okay, that when faith and actions don't work together, it's also very powerful. 
it sends a very clear message. In fact, this has led to one of the most embarrassing and unfortunate reputations of the church in our world today, <laughs> that we're just a bunch of hypocrites. Right? We say things, but we don't live them out. Because faith and actions, when they work together, are very powerful, but the opposite is also true. Right? That when faith doesn't match our actions, it is also very powerful. And when we think about this concept and, and even how it's played out through the Christmas story, we see that this is not a concept that is, that is just in the Christmas story. This is a concept that's all throughout Scripture. In fact, the, the brother of Jesus, his name is James, he wrote a letter to the church. And, and in James chapter 2, he talks about this exact concept. So I invite you to, to open with me, flip over to James chapter 2. So we're going to read what, what James had to say about faith and actions. In James chapter 2, speaking up at verse 14, he says, And what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now someone may argue some people have faith, others have good deeds, but I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, but you believe that there is one God. Well, good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And and so it happened just as the scriptures say, that Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called a friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Rahab the prostitute is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. And just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. And as we read this passage, we see that it speaks to the kinds of actions that the innkeeper's son was describing in the video of his father on the night that Jesus was born. His father did what he could to be helpful to Mary, to Joseph, and to baby Jesus in ways that made a lasting impact on his 14-year-old son. We never know how small acts of kindness that stem from our faith can impact others and bless God in the process. As a boy, he saw his dad as the hero that night, but, but he deflected that credit off to God. His dad's life just reflected the majesty of Jesus. So how can we truly live out our faith? Well, through our actions. So that our lives can bear witness to his majesty just like that innkeeper's did. Now, James points out a few different ways, things for us to understand in order for our lives to also be witnesses of God's majesty. And, and you know, that's, again, our, our goal this Christmas season is that our faith can bear witness to the glory of Christ. 
Right, so, so what do we learn? Again, what, what do we learn from James in this passage? That, that we learn that for my life to bear witness to Christ's majesty, there's a few things that I need to know. Okay, and James, James teaches us these things. The first thing that I need to know for my life to bear witness to Christ's majesty is that saying the right things is not proof of faith. That saying the right things is not proof of faith. Again, we... we can be in church for a little while, be around, you know, other Christians. We can even read the scriptures and know what to say, right? We can sound like a Christian really easily. But, but in order for my life to truly bear witness to Christ and his majesty, I need to not only say the right things, but I need to prove my faith by my actions. In fact, it's, it's exactly what James 2.14 tells us, right? He, he says, so what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? That's a good question to ask, by the way. Right? And as we look at that, and even this, this question again that James brings up is like, can that faith really save somebody? And that, ultimately, that's where we start, right? Is, is, do, is my faith a saving faith? Because that's where the journey starts, right? That's how I join the journey, is by being saved, by, by praying and, and confessing my sins, by asking Jesus into my life, and, and receiving his love and his grace and mercy, and, and being washed by his blood so I can start in a new way. That's where we start faith, and in fact, that's where our journey starts, where we know we are saved, right? But, and, and all that happens when we pray and receive Christ, but then what happens in our hearts starts to to work its way out into our life, right? And, and as it does, then it starts to affect our actions. And I'll tell you, this question, can that kind of faith save anyone? That's exactly the same question the world continues to ask today. And as we look at our faith and be like, well, does that faith even matter? Right, you say it does, but, but does it? Do I see a change in you? Again, James 2.18, he kind of goes on to the next kind of argument of that, right? Of somebody who says, no, my faith is saving. And again, in verse 18, he says, now someone may argue, some people have faith and others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. I encourage you to underline or circle that word by. Hey, that faith and actions together, right, show, they prove that I have a faith that saves me, that has saved me. I, I, I show my faith, right, by my good deeds. In fact, we see Jesus speaks to this, even in the Gospel of Matthew and Sermon on the Mount, and uh, he, he speaks to, to the fact that just saying the right things is not a saving faith. Jesus in Matthew 7, 21 says, Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. Right? Again, just saying the right things is not enough. I mean, Jesus clearly tells us that, right? James reiterates that. So in order for my life to truly bear witness to Christ, I need to know that just saying the right things is not a proof of faith. 
right? which leads kind of to the next point, right? The, the next thing that I need to know, and, and that is that, that faith and belief are not synonymous, meaning they're not the same, right? That, that, again, belief is different than faith, a saving faith. Again, James speaks to this in, in verses 19 and 20 when he says, So you say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Well, good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? I mean, as James builds this case, as he continues to walk us through this concept, right, about how faith and actions together are incredibly powerful and and yet, we see again that, that belief, just, just knowing that God is real, is not also a saving faith. As he says, right, like, I mean, the demons believe that. They know that God's real. Right, but, it's just, but, they, but they are fearful, right? They tremble in terror because they know that's true. Again, we, we, all, we can see this reaction in our world today too, don't we? Right? The, the people, they all acknowledge that, man, that God is, there is a God out there, and, and he's angry, and he's mean, and I'm in trouble. Right? And they tremble in fear. Right? Again, belief is not synonymous with faith. Right? Because, again, faith is a belief that is then followed by action. Okay, faith starts with belief. I, I believe that there's a God, but then, but then I have to put action to that belief, right, for it to be a saving faith. Again, just the, the classic illustration, right, of faith versus belief is, is again, is literally just when you walked in and saw the chair that you're sitting in right now. Right, you walked in the room and you see the chair and you believe that it will hold you up. Right, but faith is sitting in it. Right? I can believe right, that the chair will hold me up, but just saying it will and walking out the door the other way, is, is there's no faith in that belief, is there? Right? Faith is actually sitting down in the chair and trusting it to hold me up. Right? And, and we, we, again, we need to know that faith and belief are, are not synonymous. Just, just saying the right things, even just believing the right things, does not guarantee that you're saved or that you have a faith that is alive and effective. James 2.17 says, So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. I can believe the right things, I can say the right things, but... but I need to put action to my belief. Again, Jesus, again, reiterates this concept in John 8, 31 and 32, when he says, Jesus says to the people who believed in him, you are true to my disciples if you remain faithful to my teaching. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Again, notice who he's speaking to. Jesus is speaking to those who already believe him. Right? Not the unbelieving world. He, he is talking to the believer, to people who believe that he is the Messiah. Right? But again, to those who believe, he says, but you're not truly my disciples until you remain faithful to my teaching. 
Again, and Jesus was very clear in his teachings. And that is that we have to receive him as our Savior and, and accept his gift of salvation in order to be saved. Disbelieving is, is not synonymous with faith. Right? It starts with believing. He says, but then if you, if you are faithful to teachings, and the, the most clear thing that Jesus taught was that we must accept the gift of salvation and invite him into our lives and ask for that forgiveness and accept him as our Savior. And again, that's how we join the journey of faith is by putting action behind that belief, right? Of, of praying and accepting Christ, inviting him into our life, confessing our sins and receiving that grace and mercy and being washed by his blood. And that, once you do that, once you join the journey of faith and you know you're saved, right? That's a saving faith. And that is when then you will know the truth because that's also when you receive the Holy Spirit. Right? And the Holy Spirit then opens our eyes to the truth of scriptures and of who God is and and then belief becomes even easier. <laughs> right? But then but that starts that journey, right? And that means then that I start taking steps forward. Right? And growing in that faith. Right? And, and it starts to affect my actions. Right? And, and as, as we learn, again, that, that saying the right things is, is not a proof of faith. That, that even that faith and belief are not synonymous. Then, but then we move to the, the last thing, the, probably even the most important one. And and that is the fact that works don't save me. But they show that I have a genuine faith. Okay, works don't save me. Again, it, the, the, the challenge of, of this topic, right, is, is, is inferring, right, that, well, if I, I have to do the right things, then to be saved. Right, that's how, that's how I, I get a saving faith, is by doing the right things, and that's... that's not true at all. Again, another lie that our world believes, right? That, that, that I'm a good person. I've done good things. And so I'll, I'll make it into heaven. In fact, this is, I mean, even literally the teaching of karma. And, and you know, is, that's exactly the teaching of karma. As long as you do more good things than you do bad things, right? As long as the ratio is plus one on the good side, you're good. Right, but that's, again, not the story of the gospel. That's not the teachings of Jesus. I mean, literally, the gospel says we've all have sinned, right? Which means if you've done one sin, that then you're not making it to heaven. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. But the gift of God, right? That gift that came, started with the Christ child as he ushers in with the life of and the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus ushers in the new covenant of grace. Right? This says, I don't have to earn my salvation by the good things that I do, that I am saved not of my works. But yet, once I am saved, then I show that I have a genuine faith and a saving belief, and that I am being transformed by the Spirit by my actions, that they will prove that I have a saving and active faith. Again, James 2, 24 and 26, he says, So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. As we read this, this concept, we know, again, that, again, I'm not saved by works, but yet 
works is what keeps my faith moving. That's how I move forward in my journey and become more like Christ, right? That's, that's how it, that faith works its way out in my life. Again, as we, if you just read this on the surface, it feels like that James is, might be saying the opposite, but, but yet um, we know this, again, pretty famous passage of Ephesians 2, 8, 9, where Paul wrote, and in fact, Paul and James were saying exactly the same things from the, this passage in James and this passage in Ephesians chapter 2. Okay, where Paul says, he says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this because it is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done, so none of us can boast about it. Again, these are, those are two most famous verses, verses 8 and 9. Okay, but notice that's not the end of the thought. I mean, he continues on into verse 10, where he says, For we are God's masterpiece, and he has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Again, I'm not saved by works, right? The gospel is completely free. However, we recognize, right, that is, there was a price that was paid, but that price, it's free to us because of the price that Christ paid. Right? He paid with his life. And it's by the grace that comes through his death and resurrection that I can be saved. But at once I join the journey of faith and receive Christ as my Savior, then I get start this transformation process. By, of, of realizing who I am in Christ, how he made me, that I am his masterpiece. And that as God's supreme creation of his masterpiece that he's created me for a purpose. And that purpose is to do the good things he planned, right? To, to fulfill, to live out my faith, to, to show the world who Christ is by my life. That I will continue to grow in my faith and, and have an active and a saving faith and that, that I will never question my salvation but yet continue to grow more and more every day as I live out my faith, as my faith and my actions work together. Because faith and actions working together are very powerful. They're powerful in my own life, and they're powerful in the, the world and, and what it shows the world. Again, the words of Jesus just reiterates this concept in John 15, verses 16 and 17, where he says, you didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and to produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. And this is my command. Love each other. Again, a faith without actions is dead. But a faith with actions working together, are incredibly powerful. So powerful, right, that Jesus even said, he says, if you're walking this, right, you, you can ask for whatever you need, right? And, and if it's in my name, if it's in my will, then it will be given to you. But again, not for our own selfish gain, but as he says, that's the command, right? That's the command we're living out, is to love each other. We love God first, and then we love others. And it starts with our love for God, and yet 
as, as that love grows, it, it, it plays out in our actions and love for others and, and puts us right, at the right place in the order. Right? And, and again, that's one of the, another lie of the world, right, is that, well, no, you, you need to look out for number one, right? Take care of yourself. Use other people to get yourself ahead. Right? And that's the opposite of what an active saving faith will lead you to do. Right, an active saving faith will, will lead you to put God first. And then because of the love and, and the grace and vision he gives in your life, it just all spills out towards other people. Right, because the love of God comes through you, and the reality is that God loves all of us. He loves us so much that he sent his son. And as we celebrate Christmas, that's, Again, even the, as the light of the world enters in a dark world, right? That's why we light candles. And again, it's why we give gifts, because we receive the ultimate gift of the Messiah. Right? And, and as, we, as we think about the Christmas season and, and think about even this, this second-level perspective of the innkeeper and of his son, we learn and we know that faith and actions working together are very powerful. And we'll never know if there really was an innkeeper or an innkeeper's son who really did play a role in the birth of Jesus that first Christmas night. However, what is clear is that Jesus came as the Savior to rescue people from their sin and to take care of their separation from a holy God. And our faith in Jesus for our salvation must be authenticated in words and in action. As we celebrate the gift of the Christ child, I hope that we can show the world through our lives how majestic this baby really is. As we witness his majesty, as our lives bear witness to the majesty of God, I hope that this Christmas season our faith can grow, that it can be seen through our actions, and again, I don't know where your faith is at. I don't know if you've, maybe you are here because you believe there's a God, but you have no faith. Or maybe you're here because you've been trying to work your way to heaven. And you just completely find yourself always falling short. Or maybe you're here because you're scared. I don't know why you're here, but I know what God wants for you. He wants you to hear that you're loved, that the price for your salvation has been paid, and that you can accept that gift, not by works, but by belief, by faith. If you believe in the Christ child, right, then the first step of action is to pray and confess your sins and ask Jesus into your life. Right, and that's the first action that goes with your belief, right? It gives you a saving faith. And if you've never done that, I hope that you'll do that today. And if you have received Christ as your Savior, if you've already prayed and invited him into your life, then to say, then, what does my life show? Right? Does, do my actions show that I have an active, saving faith? Does the world know where I stand? Right? Do they 
look at me and, and see Christ. You're not perfect. None of us are perfect. We still mess up. But when we do mess up, they, they see a, a confession, right, and, and a, a humbleness. I'm going to do better as I move forward in Christ, right? And I get transformed by Spirit that, that I'm moving forward, right? That I'm showing them who God really is. And, and again, maybe, maybe you're here today and thinking, man, my faith is, is stalled out. If, you're, if you question if you're saved, if you're not sure, then again, it's, it's just take the step forward, right? Because again, God's grace and mercy is still there for you. And yet, we hope that we can all come together in this Christmas season and celebrate that our faith and our actions are working together, that they are powerful, that we continue to see the power of the Holy Spirit working in me and through me, and, and that we see God continue to expand his kingdom through us and through our church. And that, again, is our mission. And if that's where you are, then, then praise and celebrate today. But I don't know where your faith is at today, but I hope that it's an active saving faith. And I hope that it will take a step forward today. I hope that we can truly live out this, these words, again, of, of another disciple, right, of Peter here, and that is my final thought in 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16, where he says, you must worship Christ as the Lord of your life. That's an action, by the way. You worship Christ as the Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it, but do this in a gentle and respectful way. Again, how are we showing the world who Christ is? Why? How are we showing the world that this Christmas season is special? How are we living out our faith? Right, to show ourselves and to show the world right, that faith and actions when they're put together are incredibly powerful. So as we conclude our service this morning, I just encourage you to put action to your faith today. Right, put action to your faith. And whether that action is receiving Christ your Savior for the first time, whether the action is committing to the next step of your faith and moving forward to be more like Christ tomorrow than you are today, or the action is just to praise and to worship and to celebrate the, the gift of the Christ child, just put action to your faith today. God, we do praise you today, God, for your incredible gift of salvation that came through the Christ child. And God, as we think about the hope that we have because of this ultimate gift, God, we praise you today. Lord, we thank you for saving us right where we are, that we don't have to change to come to you. God, we also praise you that you don't leave us there. God, that you transform us from the inside out. And Lord, that our faith will move outwards through our actions as our life is transformed by your spirit. And God, as we go this week, I pray, God, that we will truly show this world who you really are by our faith. That we will represent you well as your church. God, that we will uh, follow through with whatever you're, you're leading us to do in our life. God, thank you for saving us. Thank you for loving us. Lord, thank you for transforming us. Guide us as we go this week as we celebrate this Christmas season. And Lord, as we live out our faith, we love you. We praise you. Guide us as we go in Jesus' name. Amen.